This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the No Nay Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week is Radio 1 presenter, podcaster, Clarets fan and all-round good egg, Jordan North. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on and what a lovely introduction. Thank Thank you. you. I practised it and practised it. I was like, how do I butter up my guests straight away and put him in a good mood? So there you go. Um, I've got to say, when I was doing a little bit of research before we we came on to introduce to our listeners, and I saw, obviously, you've got... um, like a pretty established podcast yourself that's been nominated for, I think it was Best Entertainment Podcast, was it, this year? I suddenly got a little bit self-conscious, so... Oh, don't be daft. No, <laughs> yours, yours is a proper professional podcast. I've, I've, oh, heard, I've heard a good few episodes. Ours is just me and uh, a friend of mine being silly and, and getting drunk. That's all that oh. uh, my podcast is. Yours is proper. And to be fair, I was does descend into chaos quite a lot. I think some of our long term listeners are very used to. We've had we've had dogs chasing our listeners. I think one at one time one of our old um, panelists was trying to record the podcast on his bike on the way home and was being chased by a dog. And you know it's it's chaos. It's great. Um, but listen, our listeners are, are very used to and they get very excited now with celebrity Burnley fans because we seem to be breeding quite a lot of them. And I think it's fair to say that you are definitely inducting a new generation of Clarets fans in, in, into our little family. Um, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you how are you a Burnley fan? Uh, so how am I a Burnley fan? Good question. Well, I didn't have a choice, really. Um, it was basically when I was younger, my dad drilled it into me, my uncle and my cousins, that we had to be Burnley fans. Um, I, 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 quite a few people that know me know this, but quite a few Burnley fans don't. I, I only ever lived in Burnley for about a year of, of my life. Um, my dad was in the army, so I, I've travelled all over. I was actually born in York. Um, I, I grew up in Germany and Northern Ireland and all different parts of the country down south. But um, I always supported Burnley, and I didn't really know that much about them because Burnley weren't on the telly in the 90s when I was growing up. Um, We used to watch the results come in, honestly. We used to watch the results coming in on teletext, on CFAX. Um, So 
I always had a burn the kit when I was younger. And I've always said, and if anybody is listening that's been in the military or knows someone in the military, you always say your hometown is where you and my dad from. So Burnley's my hometown. And, yeah. Um, my, all my family are from there. I used to spend my summer holidays there. So when my dad ran leave from army, we used to go and stay at my grandma's who, who lives around Duke Bar on Bedford Street. Um, she used to live there. I know my cousins did as well. So I kind of grew up in Burnley and I kind of didn't. I'd spent a lot of my summers there and a lot of my holidays. And I just always supported Burnley. We never had a choice. Me, my dad's a huge Burnley fan. His, his brother, my uncle, and all my cousins are, and all my family that live in Burnley are. So that's how I've ended up being a Burnley fan. I think that's a reoccurring story, isn't it? I think anybody you speak to, who even people who've moved down south or expats as well, it's one of those towns, is Burnley, that just gets under your skin. And it's one of those that you can never really leave it once, you, once it's part of you. And I, I get into a lot of debates with particularly with English Football League um, fans who say, like, why is Burnley any different? Why are we special? And it does feel like that, doesn't it? It does feel towards that there is a rite of passage. And once, you are, once you've got claret going through your veins, that's it. You're done for life. Um, and it's interesting to hear as well that it's a family affair. I think most of us got dragged in by our dads. I know from my perspective, my dad, I think, got his first season ticket when he was nine. Um, wanted boys, got two girls. I didn't really have a choice. That's it. Nine, <laughs> nine years of age, Burnley, Burnley fan, with my little tiny little girl with my little uh, little Burnley suit on, and then disappearing onto turf. Um, well, I guess in your time, obviously, you must have some fond memories of, of Burnley yourselves. And I don't know, obviously, with your career now and how difficult difficult it is to get to games. But is there any notable memories from being a Burnley fan that really stick out to you? Yeah, and a hundred percent what you said before. There is something about being a Burnley fan because when you think of the the size of our town, you know, we're up, we, our population size, we, mm. we look at Mansfields and Crews and we're in the Premier League, little old Burnley. So there definitely is something about the town. I don't know what it is, but it, it, there is something and it'll always be home for me. Um, fond memories for me, yeah. Um, when I, my first game I went on, I remember Chris Waddle was our manager. So that's, what, 97, mm. 98? Um, I think my my fondest memory is when we got promoted to Division 1 under Stan Turnant in the year two. That would have been the 99-2000 season. So Preston Preston won the league and we came second. Is that the year Wigan came through the playoffs as well? It was like a northwest. Yes, I think wasn't it that year? I think Wigan did come through the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I think Um, it did all three of us. Yeah, I think it was. So that that was a a fun, a fun memory, and that was when I was like, I was probably nine, ten then. So that was my first memory. Um, I remember us playing Blackburn for the first time in like twenty odd years. Obviously, we got beat. I have so many memories. I remember my first away game. Oh, wow. It, like, I, the thing is that I remember is whenever we could, wherever we lived, we used to come over. So I was a bit younger for this, but the Wembley final in 94, was it? Yes. Um, uh, Division 4 playoff. Division 4 playoff final. My, my dad and my older brother went to that, but I was too young to go. So wherever we were on these army bases around the UK or Europe, we used to try and get on Burnley games when we could. Um so I remember like being in the car and after leaving at like six in the morning, seven in the morning, just to get to Burnley for one o'clock. Um, oh, wow, that's and, commitment. Yeah. And then I remember my dad got a post into Wheaton Barracks in Blackpool 
which meant we could go on more games, which was brilliant. So, uh, yeah, I've got so many fond memories of going on turf. And with all this going on, the thing I miss the most is Saturday afternoons. Oh, God, yeah. I, I miss it so much. And believe it or not, I, I used to get on quite a lot of games because I used to cover shows in the week and then my show was on a Sunday. So I'd get the first train up um, from London. Sometimes I'd get it up on Friday night and then or, or Saturday morning and then I'd get the last train back from Preston at 8 o'clock. Um, and I miss those days so much. It's, it's not just going on turf. It's, it's like... Your mum making your bacon butty in the morning before you go. And like the little routine I had with my brothers and my cousins who I go on with. And it, it's getting back and her making corned beef ash as well. Oh, uh, that's amazing. In, in winter and then rushing back. We used to get back about after match, I'd like wolf my corned beef ash down me and then get to Preston Station, get on last train. So I, I, miss, I miss the whole day out. I think it's, it's the old Saturday afternoon. Ritual, and yeah. I, I miss. I I go in Talbot before. Um, oh, proper pub. <laughs> years for years, we went in coaching horses. Um, that was always our put. In fact, my first ever pint was in coaching horses. Uh, but oh, amazing! I go in Talbot now and have probably too many Guinness before. Not too many. <laughs> is there such a thing? Yeah, I'm no. sure there is. <laughs> no, it's like having three four pints of guinness in talbot before and i just miss that and i'll always have yeah, fun memories. and we're flying high at the moment but i'll always when i can if i've got a saturday free i will always go and watch them yeah no i think that's right i think i'm because i've had a season ticket with my dad my whole life um since i was nine it's that's it's that football routine with my dad that I'm missing immensely. I mean, the, the current climate is 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 causing so many problems, and it's keeping families apart anyway. But that to me is I miss it. And it's funny you say that about mum's bacon butties and things. You know, whenever I go to an away game, my mum to this day still makes me a packed lunch to take with me. No, it's way. hilarious. Honestly, we um, whenever I take my dad and we, we usually drive um, to away games, she'll pack us up a little packed lunch, and she always puts sandwiches and she puts like cheese and crackers and a little flask of coffee, and I'm like. I'm a married woman now. And I've, like, I've not lived at home. I'm like, like Mum, I've got a husband. And she's like, she still packs me up at lunch. And yeah, you're right. It's it's things like that that football um just does yet. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that point actually later on in the show because I wanna talk to you about the getting fans back in the stadium. So we'll we'll come back onto that in a minute. Yeah. Um I've got to ask you very quickly before we, we move on to I guess more current affairs at Burnley. Um Wembley. Promotion to Premier League, two thousand and nine. Yes, I was. I was there. Uh, of, of course, that is up there as well. And how many times have I seen that Wade Elliott goal? God knows. Um, my dad was out in Iraq then, and he flew over for it. And my bro- my brother, uh, he's in the army as well. He, um, I think, he kind of blagged work that he had to go. <laughs> but he came on, and then he was like. I remember Sky cameras coming up and asking if we could wave our flags for cameras. And my brother's like, no, I can't work. <laughs> so, yeah, Wembley, which seems like a lifetime ago, we went out. Do you know what we say about Wembley? It was great. Did you go on a coach? Yes. Oh, my God. I, oh, my God, that car park. What What happened? Like, all the police needed Hours. to do. All the police needed to do. Were like, I don't know if they still do it because I've not been since, but... All the police needed to do were like just close the road for a half yep. hour, let all the coaches out, get us onto motorway, and then we 
about two and a half hours we were on that yeah. car park. Yeah, same. Honestly, we all were. And it was funny because for the, I think probably for about the first hour, hour and a half, we didn't care because we were just so elated and everyone was just buzzing. But then as the adrenaline started to come down a little bit and everyone was like, Jesus, we've been on this car park for a while. <laughs> we're still sat here. Yeah. yeah, that was... Everybody I talked to went in a coach were like, come on, guys, this is, this is not great. Because I think that was the new Wembley. It wasn't... It hadn't been built that long by that point, I don't no, think, it had it? And it was, yeah, the infrastructure wasn't good. But, yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it, when you look back to to some things about Wembley. And I, I always look back on that game and just think it was probably the least enjoyable football game of my mm. entire life. God. Because I just felt sick. Having just a one-goal um, cushion wasn't great. Um, but also, I look, I look back now, um, I've watched it a few times recently, and it's little things like, whenever I see Kyle Walker, I'm like, what the what you were playing in that game yeah like, yeah and you just like look back then and you just think obviously the career he's had and you look at some of the of the Sheffield United players and it just it's really funny just to, to see them but yeah that was a that was a good day and that of course started this is quite a nice link see slick mm. um this is way too slick for the non and ever podcast I'm not sure what's going on um but that of course started what I guess we consider a whole new generation yeah. Burnley. So from 2009, our first promotion to the Premier League, albeit under the old regime, which was pre-Daesh. And I don't, I don't, it feels weird now to look back on life before Daesh because it feels like <clears throat> our current success is synonymous with having Daesh at the helm. But of course, that's not true. And as much as we're still hating for what he did, it was a, new, a different gaffer who, who got us all of this started. Um, but that brings us on, obviously, to where we get in the modern day and we've now been an established Premier League club for quite some time I mean how much I guess how much of our current success do you attribute to having Daesh at the helm I know somebody else got us there but it it does feel like it's Daesh's ship and we all just rent it doesn't it Uh, absolutely and I've I've been on national sport radio stations and and talked about him I think you know it's if if it's not a hundred percent, it's we're talking nineteen ninety five. The man gets the club. I, I can't praise him highly enough for the job he's done. You still sometimes wake up and think we're in Premier League and we're doing all right as well. Um, I think it's all down to him, and I think the players just want to play for him. And I went and had a look round the training ground last season, last September, because I was interviewing. Um, Ashley Barnes for Football Focus. And when I went to the training, the new training ground, that's when it clicked for me as well. I was like, oh my God. Like, apparently he was in on the design of the training ground. You've got all these quotes up everywhere you go, the legs, hearts, mind. And I think it was something like minimum requirement is maximum effort, all these quotes that he loves. And when you go to the training ground, I don't know if you've been Natalie, but you're like, ah, oh, it's... It's hard to say, and it might sound a bit corny, but it feels like he's sewn into the brickwork, yeah. into the the establishment of that training ground. And that's when I was like, he's so much a part of the success of this club. For me as well, was when when we beat Blackburn Rovers for the first time. Like, don't forget, we've not beaten for, what, 30-odd years? 30, 36 years, was it? 37 years, maybe? 36, 37, like... I know, and this man is the first manager to come in in 37 years. And for, yeah. for us fans, like, there's loads of people that have talked about derbies and stuff. And I try and say this to mates who don't really get Burnley and Blackburn. And I say, um, 
I think there was an old quote from uh, Graham Souness who said it's he's played and managed big, huge derbies, the Celtic Rangers, Galatasaray, whoever he managed. But he says the fiercest derby he's ever been a part of was Burnley Blackburn. He said it's vicious, and I think that was when when I started to love him and think he's made potentially the greatest manager we've ever had in my generation. We just beat Blackburn. So, yeah, I think he's a huge part of our success uh, and an absolute huge part. And I genuinely have been worried for a couple of seasons now because he's been there since, what, 2012? Yeah. Do you think he's fed up? Do I think he's fed up? We talk about this a lot and it, we're flitting and out about this on the show because it obviously depends on, on the results. And at the moment, we've got quite an emphasis on Dyche in some of our discussions because there is this rumour of a big rift between him and Garlic. We know that there has been um, some takeover talks and it does feel at the moment like things, it's not a happy camp, which is, is a challenge for us because it's not been like that for a while. And I can't, I can't make my mind up with Dyche as to whether he is maybe taking us as far as he can and he's now not bored, that sounds disrespectful, but I mean, you know, he's like, well, every season now feels very repetitive. And, you know, do I do I need to stimulate myself with a new challenge? But then if you turn that completely around on the flip side, it just feels that he's not going to get that level of integration into any other club. You know, fans do accuse us of being quite old-fashioned in this way, but it's true. If you look at the modern um, stadium, you look at the, the setup of clubs, he he won't get the level of control that he has at Burnley anywhere else, which to me is a massive argument for him staying with us. Um, but I, I am starting to feel worried that we are coming to the end of his empire. So am I. I and I don't want it to, and I don't want him to, it to be the end of his time because I really don't know who would get in and who could do as good as a job. Um, and and I'm starting to worry. And he has been it was a long time, and I I do think there's been a rift. You can tell. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. There's definitely been a rift of some sort because of his comments that he's made in interviews recently. I think didn't he say Burnley's a sell now by later club? Yeah, um, yeah, it's been a little. Di- I've got to say, actually, I'm. I can get a little hot-headed sometimes, and sometimes I tweet before I think, because um, sometimes, because and I and I don't. Don't often, we all? <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, and I think that's fair because the one thing I say about football is, is it's such an emotive game, and it brings out the best in us because we're all so passionate about it that you can't have it both ways. You can't have the feeling that you have about your club and to be so supportive of it and to be so passionate about it, but then be very passive when it comes to having an opinion about it as well. That, mm-hmm. that That's a conflict. You can't have that. And I've been a little... I'm massively in Camp Daesh. I'm not in Camp Garlic. I'm definitely with Camp Daesh. But I have been a little critical of Daesh recently just because I I just think he's gone a bit too far in interviews recently. I know last week there was the interview where he was, he was being very... Um, funny about the transfer talk wasn't he and saying yeah no and he was like he was obviously trying to make a point that he was unhappy yeah um and I do have I've got a lot of sympathy for him because he must be beyond frustrated and I think the lack of support he's getting at board level is shocking but I also think that he's got to try and as a manager you've got to be the the PR front and you've got to protect the players as well and you can't 
get it out in the press, especially with the national media and the international media that surrounds the Premier League. You've got to rein it in. But I think the fact that Daesh has gone that far to be that vocal in, in press interviews, knowing the ramifications it's going to cause, that to me is the biggest suggestion that there is a major rift that might not be repairable. Yeah, and didn't and I, I agree with what you're saying. Didn't Mike Garlic come out and do an interview as well that said we've we've had um we've always overachieved and we've had a backup plan for when Sean Dyche goes, which I felt was him coming out and having a bit of a dig. Yeah. Um so yeah it, I, it, the thing is I get what you're saying, but Dyche can totally throw his dummies out, throw his toys out the pram because he must be thinking... He's earned that right, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he, I've been here since 2012. It is 2012, weren't it, when he started? When he, uh, yes. I think it was. 13, it was. 11, 12, yeah. 2012. And, um, it, you know, he's overachieved, even to get us promoted when he did the first time, yeah. when we came second, the second time when we came back down. And... They've backed him at the right time. I think, like, when we went down and we signed Andre Gray, we needed him then, and that was our highest, I think, our biggest signing uh, that we've spent, the most money we spent on a signing at the time. And I just think the past two seasons, they've not backed him enough quite No, not at all. No. Um, And if there's any time in all of his reign, in all of his reign, there's any season where the board should have said, yeah, all right, it should have been this summer. I know there's a lot going on with COVID and everything like that, so maybe that could be something to do with it. And I'm trying. I'm trying to see the board side, the chairman side, and I am because they are they they are running Burnley in in a fantastic way in some respects. But he must have his reasons why we've not spent this summer. Properly. Yeah, they must have the reasons whether they're going to sell the club whether they're a bit iffy because of what's happening with no fans in the stadium, that kind of thing. Um, but they could have just... We we all... I mean, every time we post something on Facebook now, like the official Burnley account, just just go through the comments, you'll see them. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. everybody's, everybody's thinking it. So Everyone's fed up. It would really be good to like see what the chairman's got to say. But um, no, I, I think he's in his right and he's... he's he must be like, I've I've been here for years. We've overachieved. I've built this club. You know, even when you have backed me, it's it's been mm, just enough, not enough. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've we've got to make some big signings in January. Well, I think that's that's the. I mean, the whole Harry Wilson saga was just odd, and I was actually starting to get really excited about that. And, mm. I, and I do wonder why that. I don't buy the reasons of why that fell over. You know, if we're talking about three or four million here for a young player who plays on the right wing, which is a position we're desperate to cover, mm. um, I just don't buy that. I think I don't know whether or not we needed to sell Tarkovsky to fund it. I don't know what was going on there, um, but that was all very odd, and it just seemed to just fall away I'm glad we kept talks I really oh god yeah that was really important Uh, you mentioned as well if he wants a new challenge um I've said this before and a lot of people have like scoffed at me like don't be daft but I can imagine him if he does want a new challenge because it doesn't seem like any Premier League teams want him and I don't know why no no I don't know why because and and I know why it is because other fans and I've argued with other fans in pubs they, they think we 
play this real bad style of football and we don't no, no. we like, really don't we, <laughs> it, football fans and twitter especially and football is just an echo chamber and they say things like i remember a fan said to me i don't know you watch that week in week out i was like hang on we don't play like that every week it was actually when we played spurs um a couple of seasons ago and they beat us in last minute one nil at, at wembley when spurs were still at wembley i went on the game and, and the spurs fan said it to me and i was like that is the only time where we've actually come and parked the bus you know, we don't always play this style of football that we're linked with. But I imagine if he, he wants a new challenge, I can see him going to like a, a derby or Nottingham Forest because they're desperate to get back up. And if there's anyone that could do it, it'd be him. Whether he'd take the, you know, the step back to the championship, I don't know. But if he does go, that's where I could see him going to. Maybe leaving, falling out of the board, having a bit of time off. Because he still yeah. he still lives in Kettering, doesn't he? He still commutes. Yeah, he does. He comes up three days a week, doesn't he? That's really interesting that you say that because one of the – on the last game of the season last year, I was desperate for Watford to go down and Villa to stay up because I genuinely thought that if Villa went down, they'd sack Dean Smith and I genuinely thought that Dash would go to Villa. I thought that would have been a fantastic move for him. So, do you know what? I, I said the same. I was like, he'll, he'll, I can imagine him taking over from Villa. Mm. Uh, and there's another club that he's always linked with. I thought he'd, um, I thought he'd get the Leicester job before. Oh yeah, I yeah. I think, I think, they, I think if Leicester had come in for him maybe two or three years ago, I think he would have got it. I think Leicester just at the wrong time outgrew him, and I don't. That sounds disrespectful to Dutch, but I think. They've they've just moved into a new bracket now where they're going to be mm. intending to compete for Champions League every single year, and Dash is, is still has to I think do the perception of the middle step before he gets a top six job. You know he hasn't won any trophies yet. Obviously he's won the Championship title, but certainly in cup competitions his record isn't great, um, and those teams expect to be getting to the last final yeah. stages of the cups. Um, he is perceived to be this quite negative, old fashioned style of football. He's not known to be an attacking flair manager, and I think he has to go to like Leicester before they got Brendan Rodgers were in that bracket of say like West Ham's before they got a bit rubbish. You know that those kind of always top 10 sides maybe even Everton before Ancelotti went um and I just think he needs that next step before he gets one of the top top six sides so I'm not worried about Leicester anymore I I there's very few actually um Premier League sides that I'm now worried about him mm. leaving us to go to I'd, um sorry go on no 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 go on go on no, I was just going to say, I, I I agree with you. And I'm talking like I want him to go. I really, really don't. I've always said this. I think he could do... If You remember when Alan Kirbisley was at Charlton for God knows how many years. Oh, God, yeah. It was like 16, 17 years. And look at Charlton. They always managed it, didn't they? And they always beat yeah, teams around them. And he could do that. He could he could be at, he could be at Burnley and at, at, at Turf for as long as he wants to be. He could do yeah. what Alan Kirbisley did with Charlton. And I just... I don't want him to go, but it always feels like Every season we do now in the Premier League, every season we overachieve. Yeah. It feels to me that we've hit a critical point. This is why yeah. I call it the State Union. It feels to me like one of them has to go. It's either going to be Daesh or it's going to be Garlic. And it's a bad state of affairs for our board where I think most people would be. You're right there. Um, it, they would rather see Garlic go. I mean, I'm, I'm not 
Garlic's biggest fan at the moment, and I've been quite critical with the way he's conducted himself recently, but I'm definitely not in the camp of, and I don't like the level of disrespect he's getting on Twitch. I'm seeing on our Twitter handle, on, on our hashtag, so many people have changed their um, Twitter handles to Garlic Out or Sack the Board and things like that. Mm. And I just think, hang on a minute, you know, Garlic has done enough to command a, a, a certain level of respect from us as Burnley fans. Um, just because through the early Premier League, Premier League years he did an incredible job of steadying the ship really managing the finances keeping Burnley fans feet on the ground you know we were we'd been promoted one year we wanted to sign Messi and stay up forever you know it's like we yeah. very much we, fans, yeah. we got yeah we got emotional and we got carried away with ourselves we wanted in our first year as Premier League to be spending 100 million on players um because you just see these riches and I think he did an, and him and his board did an incredible job of keeping our feet on the ground and cementing and, and funneling that money through to Barnfield to the new training centre and I think he was brilliant my problem with him now is is I think that the club has outgrown our current board I think because we've been in the Premier League as long as we have we have become a brand and a machine that's bigger than a local board of chairman and a board can manage and their personal wealth isn't enough to not even progress but to keep up with the juggernaut that is the Premier League so to me I think it's a case of you go with my utmost respect, shake hands, thank you so much for what you've done. It's time for some fresh investment and to move on. Um, but just before we move on to, 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 I guess, on the picture fairs, how do you feel about a takeover? There's obviously a lot of talk at the moment about the Americans coming in. Do you do you sit in the camp of it must be a Burnley fan or do you welcome anybody coming in? Well, um, I, I'm, I'm not for it, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm sceptical. Um, I, I I agree with what you, you said about garlic there. And it's funny you, you say that because my cousin said to me last season, before before the um, stadium ban came in, he said to me, if we don't start signing people soon, he said, and I remember he said, he said, the fans are going to start turning. And I think they are turning now. If not, they've totally turned. Yeah, they have. I think that's and true. And I've not felt this for me as a Burnley fan was when... They, we when they wanted Cottrell out, and there was never like Cottrell out. There was never, there weren't really protests as such. But when we we went nineteen games without a win, and then we went another eleven games. Do you remember when? You, I don't know if you remember. It just felt like people were turning slightly. Yeah, and and it kind of feels like that now. It feels like the fans are turning on the board. I all you've got to say is look at Blackburn. They were an established Premier League side. And some foreign investors came in, the Venkies, yeah. and look at them now. And I just, I don't know. It, it has worked for, obviously, it's worked for so many more clubs. But then, you yeah, think, I think that's fair. You've got, you've got, you do have to look. And I had this, I had this conversation with somebody last week. It's like to me, being a Burnley fan isn't a prerequisite to to being a takeover. And I think, like, look at Leicester as a as a like Leicester is such a club that we can look up to, and we've said that, you know. Yeah. Kept, you know, we we came up behind them in Daesh's first year um, when they were champions and we were runners up, and look what they ran with. You know, they got foreign investment, and look how how integrated into their community their their owners are. Obviously, that they, they're on a passed away in that awful circumstances, and the the, the city was in mourning. And mm. um, but the family's taken over, so you know it can work. And I think you know, yeah. a lot of people say for every for every Leicester, there's a Venkis. Well, no, that's that's not true because if that was the case, half the half the the league would be gone. Um, you know, it, it's successful more than it isn't. But I think for me, as long as you have our, as long as you understand what you're buying and you want to do 
right by the club and it doesn't matter to me that you're a Burnley you know you don't have to be a Burnley fan um I just feel I think you're right I think the fans are turning and I think we've hit a really critical point at the moment where either this board has to it has to find some investment from yeah. somewhere and I you know I have I don't expect our chairman and our directors to put their hands in their own personal wealth you know I don't expect that you know I, I don't think I would if I was a director um on the board but if they if if we are solely reliant on Premier League money to survive, then we have to sell this season just in case we go down at the end of this season. We have to cash in while we've got the Premier League's attention. Um, or, you know, we have to try and find some investment from somewhere else because, like you say, I think we're at a really critical point this season. And it's difficult, Jordan, isn't it? Because I wonder how much of this is being exaggerated by the COVID restrictions that we're all living in and it's a time of immense um, anxiety for so many people and it's really worrying times and we haven't got things like football as our outlet Mm. to enjoy but also there's things aren't going very well on the pitch as well so you know we're three out of three and and bottom you know in the relegation zone with no points and on top of that there's then this talk about this new Premier League restructuring where they're going to reduce the league and it's all all the power and decision making is going to go to the top six all of that together just feels to me like this is a key season that we've got to have some change yeah and I I, I get what you're saying there and it has worked for so many more clubs but don't we isn't don't we have about quite a bit of money in a pot but again I'm sure Mike Garlick's got his reasons for why we don't want to spend that and I, I my only reason why we haven't signed any or made any big signings into this new season is because of what you said because of COVID and you yeah. think how many other businesses aren't investing how many other businesses have said we just need to ride this out we just need to keep our head above the water uh, and see how it goes so yeah although that said did you read Chris Borden from the Berlin Express's article that he wrote last week um, no, he's a great writer, Chris, as well. I think. He really is. I, I love Chris Borden so much. We're trying to get him on the show. Actually, we're going to we're going to speak to him in a while. I, I, it's interesting when you talk about how there's a bit of a fan revolt and how tables are turning. Um, local newspaper, local journalists have always almost been an extension to the Burnley PR camp. You know, they've always been they've always been in the know. They've always had first scoop on stories and they've always had a direct link to the media team and in exchange for that they've always been very respectful and they've not got the board they've not been overly critical but recently that has changed and I think with the emergence of things like the athletic and the premier league rules meaning that you know the, the club just aren't able to give exclusives or give priority to local newspapers it often feels that local newspapers at the moment are having to report second-hand on what other newspapers are reporting and that must be hugely frustrating for Chris Borden but he last week wrote a really scathing article about what's going on at the club to the point where he even said that he felt that the board's conduct was borderline negligent and I've never seen Borden come wow. out and be as yeah that. go and read it it's really really good um so for him to take that stance as well, and interestingly, one of the things that one of the points he said was that apparently the official line coming out of the boardroom is that there is a complete conflict between what Daesh wanted in the transfer window, what Rig wanted in the transfer window, and what Garlic was going to be able to provide. And actually, apparently, Rig and Garlic, it's reported that they tried to sign and quote was several players, and Daesh vetoed all of them because they were not the players that he wanted. So that, to me, suggests that there was money to spend. They did actually want to sign players, 
but there's obviously some conflict then as to what now we don't know this is really difficult to discuss because number one we don't know how true that is although it was reported in the press um, in local press as well and number two we don't know what those players were if they were yeah, you know, more goalkeepers, for example, or they were players who just Dash does not rate at all, and Dash just didn't want us to waste our money, fully expecting that they would try and find somebody else. Then that's justifiable. Yeah, well, that's not great. I need to read that because it, it sounds good. Uh, I'll definitely give that a read. It, and it sounds like the both both sides need to meet fifty fifty. Need to meet halfway, don't they? Because um, ultimately, if your manager doesn't want the player then it's, you go back to the drawing board and say, right, what about this guy? And he's like, yeah, all right. Or he goes back and say, I really want this guy. It's got to work yeah. both ways. Yeah, it does. That's quite worrying. I didn't, I've not, I'll give that a read. That's quite worrying. Yeah, I was. I didn't feel great when I read it. I came up and I was like, Jesus, boards, you've made me feel like. <laughs> like oh. I, was, I, was, I was holding my head above water when I read that and I was like, oh, oh yeah. this is not good. Yeah, have a read of it. But like I say, it... it in some respects, no, oh, this sounds awful, but because because of the pressure that the Premier League's putting on local newspapers um, and the fact that Borden doesn't necessarily get news before anybody else does, um, this I almost give it more respect when he's reporting on this because he, he just didn't hold back. Um, and I just thought it was a fantastic piece. It was really worth a read. So, yeah, do go and hunt it out. Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, we, we, we've discussed takeovers, we've looked at the board, we've looked at that transfer window. You know, the, the, I think all of us are all on the same page as to, you know, how disappointing those windows were. And, and actually, even even some of our um, championship players that we were hoping might rescue our transfer window, I think Craig Dawson's now going to West Ham. It's like, oh, for God's sake. And there's like, championship every... clubs that have bent more than us in the past few years as well. <laughs> I think Luton outspent us in this last window. Oh, that did surprise me. It does seem a very strange strategy, though, because considering that finances are often quoted as being the reason for us not making signings, yet we keep going into a really overinflated and expensive championship market, which is, seems odd, but never mind. Um, I guess we move matters then onto the pitch. Not a great start to the season. Um, not great performances either. I guess, oh God, where do we even start with this? I guess, tell us how you are feeling generally about like on the pitch performances I think it's like if you think about it last season towards the end of the season we got some great results with pretty much the same squad Um, we got some really good results so I am a bit worried but I think it's because what's going on between Deitch and the board you know it it comes from the top and and it's kind of infecting into the squad if you will and I think that is what's, it's like morale's down because, you know, the players pick up on things like that as well. So I'm a bit worried. I do think, I do think we've got enough to, to stay up this season, potentially. Uh, I think we miss Ben Mee at back. Um, it, it's hard to say. And it is hard to say. We've got West Brom, haven't we, on Monday next week? Oh, that's massive. So that <laughs> <All> is, <day. laughs> that's a big game. Um, I just, I think what's gone on behind the scenes has somehow 
uh, reflected on the pitch as well. And that happens at any club. Look at Watford last season. You would never have thought yeah, that. But with all the turmoil they had, I mean, managers, the board, it, 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 it reflects, it's in any job. If the manager and your managers are falling out, it, you know, it has an effect on morale for the whole yeah, team. So I think that's what's happening because, you know, we had we had a few players out injured last towards the end of last season, and we churned out some good results, some really good. Yeah, that's true. It seems very strange that in the space of just four weeks, in between the the, the squad that finished last season, that patched up job, we were I think we were third in the form table going into the, the last game of the season. I thought we were amazing. Oh, that was um, a restart, yeah. Apart from the city game, we we yeah, and Brighton at the end. That was but then yeah. we were done by then. Um, do you know what worries me, Jordan, about this season? And I keep saying this, and, and I, I don't know whether I'm just being really paranoid. The thing, the main thing that's really worrying me this season is this this just unbelievable amount of goals that are being scored this season. Like the season has started, and every single game has got six, seven, eight goals in them, and I, it worries me that that is not really not going to help us at all. Because number one, we don't tend to score three or four goals in a season in a game. And we very much rely on getting our three points by a few one nils or very marginal. You know, mm. we, we just get our foot ahead. Does that worry you at all? Seeing all the goals going in? Do you know what? You've, yeah, I didn't really think about that until you said it. But yeah, you oh. totally. Sorry. Right. <laughs> no, no, um, it does when you come to think of it. Do you think that's because there isn't a crowd? Do you think that? I don't know. Yeah, did you see, I don't know if you've seen this, there's been quite a bit of sports analysis done um, on the success of penalties since no fans are in the ground. Like Nobody's missing penalties, particularly in the League Cups, and most of them are going to sudden death shootout. And a lot of people are saying that the pressures that players feel yeah. putting penalty shootout with no fans behind that net, it's like they just, they just get, it's like training, they're just getting them all in the back of the net. And they're saying that that is the, one of the biggest pieces of evidence of the effects that a crowd can have on the penalty shootout and the that extra layer of pressure that it adds. And I wonder whether, yeah, whether there's the, the, just the centre forwards are much more relaxed, they are more willing to try something because they've not got that pressure, they've not got the crowd behind them and they're not afraid. To, because if sometimes if you try a little cheeky flip or, you know, you just try and shoot and the crowd are like, oh, no, you know, yeah. I, know I do it. You're like, Barnes, don't shoot from there. Yeah. What are you doing? Or, right. or, you know, exactly. Or if Matt Lawton decides to try a scream at 35-year-old, you know, <laughs> it's like, Matty, what are you doing? Um, so, you know, maybe they're playing with a bit more freedom and they've just got that ability. And there's just goals finding left, right and centre. And look at us. Look at the goals we've conceded every single game. And I just think that's, that does not suit our style at all. Uh, we are yeah. keep clean sheets and we score one, maybe two goals. And how many... Players and managers have said in the past, you know, it's not a nice place to come to, more, especially exactly. on a Saturday when it's lashing it down. And oh. I, I always say it's the coldest yeah. ground on. It's lovely. It's I lovely. Love it. I love it. <laughs> but when the fans are up for it as well, it's not an easy place to come. So yeah, I no, think it's not. now you've said it, it does worry me. But I think that could be down to the the fact that there isn't fans in the stadium. Yeah, completely. Yeah, play yeah they're ways, playing a bit more freely, and, yeah. and, and you know, what, if I ever crack in, no one's going to scream at me. When yeah, I exactly. 
it's difficult as well because we've played we played two of those three games with with poor um, Kevin Long and Jimmy Dunn at centre half, which is always difficult. The, the poor lads haven't got a great deal of experience between them, and you know they they put the heart and soul in it and try yeah. to do it, but they're not Ben me and talking. You know we, we are missing our talisman for sure at the back. Um, but yeah, that that's that's definitely worrying me. Joe, it's really funny. I, I'm really this is making me really nostalgic. I'm really missing turf, and I think we think now that the weather's turned and it's starting to get cold. Um, one of the biggest joys that I ever see at Turf Moor is when Chelsea come to town and they've got all their bench and they're all wrapped up in their blankets yeah. and hot water bottles. I was like, I love it. I'm like, come yeah. on, always come to Turf. <laughs> the coats zipped up and the hats on, yeah. Um, yeah. You say that, like, the Newcastle game I watched, um, we weren't great, we weren't, and, um, you know, there were, like, I think that said, mistakes cost us, but I think the only difference was, was um, St. Maximin, really. He that, was. A, he, we did not I, handle him at no, all. And I think that was the only difference, really. That could have been. We could have maybe got a draw from that. Um, yeah, it, it, that just worried me though a little bit. In that confidence was down that much that you know Newcastle really aren't that great a side, and at times we made them look like Barcelona. It yeah, was, you know, it, yeah. it was really difficult. Um, so I guess starting to wrap up then towards the end I guess we, we return back to where we started at the beginning of this podcast and taking all of those points into account how passionate do you feel about and I think I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this but how passionate do you feel about getting fans back in the stadium and do you think that politic do you think it's political or do you think we should be doing more to let fans in now it's a hard one like at the moment this is changing every week isn't it and I know there was a there was a gig on at one of the um, I can't remember where it was. There was a gig on at one of the um, I think it might have been the Palladium in London down here, and loads of people were tweeting saying, "So this is safe." And it was a picture of loads of people at this gig, but this isn't. And it was like a picture of empty fans, empty fans, a picture of an empty stadium. And yeah, I think we do need to. This isn't going away anytime soon, is it? So I think we do need to now look at ways we can get fans back in the stadium we're not going to see full stadiums for a long time are we I don't I don't think and I think there is safe ways of getting them back in now and just I think it'll make a difference like how many would we be able to have at turf 10 11,000 I don't know the safe that'd be so much better it, it would help lift um everybody in football wants the fans back in the stadium and yeah, I think we do need to start doing more now. Um, I listen to a lot of like national sports radio stations and that's their biggest worry. My worry is that we're starting to get used to it. And that's what's worrying me. Like we're getting used to having no fans and that god awful um oh God. The, yeah. What's the uh sound effects in I mean you say it's god awful but you end up <laughs> you end up watching it with that because it, it feels like normal yeah it does uh, but yeah we we in the new year we the Premier League the FA the government have got to look at a way of getting fans into the ground safely and more to the point like the, the clubs in the lower leagues imagine if this happened 20 years ago or 15 years ago to Burnley when we were just just getting by. And when I say just getting by, we were scraping by. Like, you need your 11,000 fans in the stadium buying pies and pints and coffees at half-time and hot dogs and what have you because that's still a big part of your income as well. So we need to definitely look at a way of doing it. 
Yeah, it's really tough, isn't it? I, I just it just feels a little bit. I don't I don't understand why fans aren't in the ground yet, and I, I, it just just because some of the things that can be done are much more risky than like you say having fans in a stadium and, and just god even if we had to do a lottery system and even if I could just go to like one game yeah. in the season I'm just desperate to get back just get there with my dad get a Benny and Ott and just at half time yeah. and just sit there and do it it's gonna have to be it's gonna be a difficult time we were, and hopefully we were all looking weren't the rumours sorry weren't the rumours of it coming in in October like they were looking at getting fans yeah no yeah it wasn't a, it wasn't a rumour the initial the initial plan was as well the first of October yeah, yeah that, that fans would start coming in um, if you remember I think in one of the pre-season games Brighton trialled it at home um, they had um, a lot of their fans in the stadium where they tried to um they, you know, they had them in there. So I'm very jealous of Brighton fans because they at least got to see something live. Um, and across Europe, they are, they are, there's some some leagues that are allowing fans in. Um, I think it's it's I think it's like a third capacity of the stadium. So you know, you wouldn't be able to have every single season ticket holder um, in there. I think there was a plan to do a lottery, and you'd get I yeah. think you ended up average with maybe four games a season. Um, but right now, it's better than nothing, and it just it just feels that. And I'm worried about the football league as well, and I'm worried about some of the lower league games, uh, clubs who are you don't have television rights, and even the championship income's not generated very much from from TV. Um, and I just feel if we don't start to get back soon, um, we are going to. Well, the Premier League's in danger, Jordan, of really damaging its brand anyway. I mean, you know, VAR's been just an utter farce. Yeah. Um, the new handball rule this season's oh. just been ridiculous hasn't it i mean god some of these decisions already this season what was the big one last weekend was it the, was it the spurs game there was just a most ridiculous one where the united was, one as well man united um, yeah there was yeah, there, yeah there, i think there was there was a really big one where where steve bruce came out it was a newcastle equalizer wasn't it where bruce came out and just said you know we might have benefited from this today um but i don't want to see that given and you know that'll go against us on another day so you've got you know you've got a premier league that is ruining the game it's turning it into a purist television analysis game rather than what we know and love you've apparently the the the, during lockdown so far the premier league's lost 700 million yeah i I heard about that that's like that is frightening um and i just think you know there's things that people can do and you know yeah just i just think get us all back on so we will we will see how that goes We're going to end the podcast with um, a little bit of fun. Yeah. And I delved into a classic Radio 1 question with a claret's twist. So we're going to pause a question to you, and you're going to have to think carefully about this because I think this is a toughie. Go on. Um, it's, it's the old horse-sized duck, duck-sized horses debate, which I love. It's a classic and it's a favourite. Who do you think Jordan North would win between a horse-sized Ashley Westwood, <laughs> or a dozen duck-sized Ashley Barneses. A horse-sized Ashley Westwood, and a dozen duck-sized Barneses. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> a dozen duck-sized Ashley Barneses because. If one of those ducks is half as a new <laughs> as Ashley Barnes is, and then you've got twelve of them 
giving him little pecks on the cheeks and swearing up to him. I think the dozen duck-sized Ashley Barnes would definitely be a horse-sized Ashley Westwood. Yeah. Although I do, I do think it'd give him a game. I think Westwood would, would fight there. I think it, I think that would be. They'd just be nipping away at the little oh, hoofs, no. and the horse <laughs> would be able to, and then one would jump on him, and then the other would jump on him, and then just nipping away. And yeah, the, the, the horse Ashley Westwood would not have a have a. Do you know what? I'm going to go to bed tonight. It's going to be one of those things. I'm going to go to bed tonight. <laughs> I'm going to get in bed, I'm going to go, you've called it wrong there, John. If you think about it, the horse... I might, I might put a poll in the field and see if our listeners agree with you. I will, I will get, talking about? Well, I'm, the, I'm the most indecisive person ever, so I'll get in bed tonight. <laughs> when I first that. wrote that, when I first wrote it, my initial one was um, a, a horse-sized Ashley Barnes, and I was like, well, that's no fight. So I yeah. We need, we need to handicap Ashley Barnes somehow because, you know, a, a normal-sized Ashley Barnes would probably beat a dozen duck-sized Ashley Westwood. No, the other way around. Yeah, the other way around. So, but we'll see. Um, Jordan, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this evening. It has been hilarious. I could literally talk to you all night, but... Um, but fearing for this podcast going on for about three hours we are going to need to call it a night um why don't you tell our listeners where they can tune in and listen to your wonderful show uh thank you first of all natalie for having me and um keep up the great work i I, I dip in and out and i listen when i can so thank you very much for having me on uh i hope i haven't been too negative it's just at the moment we're all we're all feeling a bit if you get me back on in new year and we're flying high i'm sure it'll But you're right. It's, it's what we, it's our love. It's what we care about. And you're right. I could sit here and talk to you for three hours about Burnley. Uh, so thanks for having me on. Uh, you can hear me on Radio One on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from ten thirty to one. And um, also, I've got my podcast, which is coming out in a few weeks. The fifth series, Help I Sex with My Boss. Uh, I do it with my posh mate, who's an etiquette expert. Yes. A lad from Burnley is mates with an etiquette expert, and that's the, whole, <laughs> that's the whole premise of the podcast. Excellent. Well, that is that is fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, listeners, that is all we have got time for this week with this very special episode. Um, hopefully that has filled the gap while we are on an international break. Um, Dave and I will be back on Friday with the preview show where you can have a look ahead to the next Clarets game. And then the full team will be back on Tuesday where we are hopefully going to be celebrating three points against West Brom and a chance to get our season kicked off again. Um, many thanks as always to producer Matt for knitting this all together and producing to band Joyce for our music um, but special thanks to you the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you I've been Natalie Bromley, this has been the Non and Ever podcast, until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.